0: I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. Keep, faith keep the faith, keep the faith Keep the faith, keep the faith What's up guys, Brian Ratliff here Just wanted to say thank you for tuning in to Keep the Faith Podcast Grab your Bibles and let's dig in To the Word of God. Eric Clapton has become a very well known musician that you've probably heard of over the years. But did you know his upbringing was not the best of starts? You see, Eric Clapton was born on March the 30th, 1945, to Patricia Clapton, who at the time was just a minor and his biological father, Edward Fryer, um was stationed in England, and he was originally from Canada. And to complicate matters worse, not only was it a one-night stand, as it used to be called, or now a hookup affair, what they would say, he was there for a very brief time, and he, in fact, was married to somebody else in Canada. And so... Also to complicate it even more he was 25 at the age of his at the beginning of his birth in March of 1945 and Eric's mother was only 16 And as Eric would grow up, he would be underneath the leadership of his grandparents who raised him. And he became of age to find out that that the one in his house who he thought was his sister was in fact his biological mother. And he goes to her and says, hey, is it okay if I call you mom? And she looks to him and says, your grandmother is your mother. How devastating that would be for a young child to hear. But you know, the inspiring thing about Eric Clapton's life is even though he began at a bad scene, he did not allow that to hold him back in his career. You see, Clapton has since achieved many phenomenal accolades and rewards as a musician and singer-songwriter. He's received 18 Grammy Awards and received, in fact, the Order of the British Empire in 2004. And he's most remembered by several songs in one that you probably have heard of called Tears in Heaven, where he wrote, in a time of grief, when his child tragically passed away. You know, despite the odds, Eric Clapton made history. And today it's interesting as we think about a man named Eric Clapton and how he overcame the odds to make history not just in his own nation but all over the world. We are in fact face to face with the reality that he at one time was known as an illegitimate son. Just like the man named Jephthah in our passage today. You see Jephthah's beginning was very similar to Eric Clapton's, or I should say Eric Clapton's was very similar to Jephthah's back in the Old Testament judge's time period. You see, um, Jephthah's father slept with a prostitute and gave birth to Jephthah. And Jephthah's father would eventually have a woman to be married to and have children, and those children did not like Jephthah, and so they led a scene to kick Jephthah out of his household and to go away. And so it's interesting, as we think about the faith of Jephthah, which by the way is the title of my message today, the faith of Jephthah, I'm reminded of this key thought that I want to relate to you today. Besides making history, and not just making history, but make history for God, but think about this, faith in God is used by God, makes promises to God, and suffers for God. I believe that is the theme of Jephthah's life, and as we'll see in Judges chapter 11 and in the first part of Judges chapter 12, Jephthah, uh, a rough start, and uh, made some rough decisions along the way. God still used him, and Jephthah made a vow and promise to God, and he kept his vow and promise to God, and we'll get into that momentarily. And he also, at the end of his life, suffered for the cause of Jehovah. Now listen, I don't know how you got here or the circumstances surrounding the beginning of your life. But I submit to you today that your beginning, however it was, However it was, whether, whether your parents were, were, were united in marriage before they came on the marriage bid and had, gave birth to you, or if you were, were born outside of wedlock, or as people say, an illegitimate child. Hey, listen, no matter your beginning, God can use you, and we see that in Jephthah's life so don't let your past hold you back. And listen, as we think about all this, what are the lessons of faith we can learn from Jephthah's life today? That's the question that I'm seeking to ask and answer. What lessons of faith does Jephthah's life teach us? Well, first of all, I want to share this with you. If you have your Bibles, go back to Judges. And while you're turning there, remember, the writer of Hebrews is right lean towards a Pauline authorship here, that Paul is preaching a sermon It was recorded and written down later, and he's coming to the end of his sermon, and his time is running short, and so he begins to just mention these key figures by name, like Gideon and Barak and Samson and now Jephthah, and he has an understanding in his mind that those listening would know about these characters, and so we are not short on time today, or at least in our time, and so we can go back to the book of Judges chapter 11, and he's obviously writing and recording how Jesus is superior than everything else the Old Testament has to offer, and now he comes to mention Jephthah. But the first time I want to share with you is from verses 1 through 28 of Jephthah chapter 11. Consider this, no matter what your past looks like, you can be used by God. Let that sink in. No matter What your past looks like, you can be used by God. It doesn't matter if you were uh, a prostitute like Jephthah's mother. It doesn't matter if you were going around and you're like Solomon and you've slept with so many people you can't even keep track of it anymore. It doesn't matter if you uh, are like a Pharisee and you were so tied to the legalistic system of the law that you were looking at everybody else and saying, oh, you're just a heathen because you're not keeping the law like I am. Wherever you fall in the spectrum here, my friends, God can use you no matter what your past looks like. And today I see that in Jephthah's life. And I'm encouraged by his life. Look in verses 1 through 3. It is in this section where I'm reminded that your parental mistakes do not limit God using you. That is, if you are a parent or if you had parents who made mistakes. And, and by the way, if you are a parent or ever had parents, at some point you're going to make mistakes. Of Sure, sure you are. It's a part of, of, of failing forward as raising and rearing children. But maybe here today you don't have any children. Maybe God never allowed you to have children. I don't know. Maybe you've adopted them. I don't know. But whether your parents made mistakes or whether you've made mistakes as a parent, that doesn't limit God using you. In verse number one, we read that Jephthah's father, in um, verse number two, made a mistake. And he was a son of a harlot, oh, a prostitute, if you will, a term that, that reminds us that that. That there are the lowest of lows of society. But in the middle of this verse, it speaks about how he was a mighty man of valor. He was very strong. And I believe that he was not just strong physically, but I believe that we'll see momentarily that he was also strong spiritually. But he goes on to say in verse number two, as I mentioned earlier, that his father here was Gilead, and Gilead's wife began to have children, sons specifically. And these sons grew up and they began to come to the realization that, hey, Jephthah doesn't have the same mom that we have. In fact, as I read this story, I'm thinking to myself, why do they kick Jephthah out without kicking out his father, also? Make sense? Because it wasn't Jephthah's mistake of why he came into existence. It was actually his father's mistake of why he came into existence. But I'm, I'm here to tell you something. That even our supposed mistakes can be used in God's sovereign plans for our life. And so here in this moment, his brothers, his half-brothers, are kicking him out of here. And says, you're not going to inherit anything. Get out of here because you are a son. Check it out now. The Bible says of a strange woman. Now. That woman might have been strange in their eyes, but I submit to you today that every man, woman, boy, and girl has been fearfully and wonderfully made in the very image of God, no matter the occupation they might choose. Verse number three says that he fled away and he goes and dwells in the land of Tob. How would you like to, to be from the land of Tob? Hello, my name is Brian and I am from the city and town of Tob. I don't know, that doesn't have a very good ring to it, but that's where he went to and that's where he dwelt. But in verses four down to verse 11, we see that, that not only about the parental mistakes don't limit us from God using us, but also our personal mistakes do not limit God using us. Isn't that amazing? That that we can make personal mistakes. That that Jephthah, oh, by the way, if you've ever read this chapter, if you've ever heard any messages or did any Bible studies on Jephthah, you're going to realize that Jephthah made mistakes in his life. Just like you and me. But also his brothers made mistakes. His own people kicked him out of town. And in verses 4 through 11, we read that it is in this time where he's Away, He's been kicked out of his own house, kicked out of his own town. He's in another place. And and the elders of Gilead come, and they are trying to find Jephthah. Remember, he was a mighty man. He was a very strong man. And so they're about to go to battle with these Ammonites. And and they need some help. They need a strong man who's got leadership qualities who can come and lead them. And so they come to Jephthah. And Jephthah, in verse number 7, I I like his his attitude. He says, hey, didn't you hate me at one time and, and kick me out of town? And now you're coming to ask me to come help you? Now, if I was in his shoes, I probably would have said, no thanks. You dug yourself into this hole, dig yourself out. Or get yourself out. But he actually begins to make a deal with them. These elders, they come and they say, we need you to come and be the head over us. And he says, okay, if if I were to come and help you in this... Can I also be in charge of you? And so, to our surprise, Jephthah becomes the judge of this time period in the land. Of Israel. Now remember, the book of Judges is a time period of, of Israel's darkest days and darkest past. And a lot of horrible and bad things took place in this book. And, and it's a book that the repeated theme is the Israelites did evil in the eyes of God. And it's a, a kind of a reminder of our life that sometimes we are walking in step with God, but then other times we are not walking in step with God. And so today we see that the cycle is they were obeying God, and then they experienced disobedience, and they were wandering away. God would send the oppressors, and then God would raise up a judge to come and deliver them, and then they would over- overcome the opp- oppressors. They would have peace, and they would go in that cycle over and over again. And now Jephthah is involved in this cycle here, and, 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 and in this particular case, I'm reminded that, hey, our personal mistakes, our parental mistakes do not limit us from God using us. And then as we read verses 12 down to verse 28, it is in this section where I'm reminded that even our national mistakes do not limit God using us. Isn't that amazing? That in the family unit, we can make mistakes, we can fail forward, and God can still use us. That in society, we can make personal mistakes in our own life, and God can step in and still use us in spite of our sin. And then check it out now. When a nation sins... God can step in and use them to further His commis- His gospel in spite of their own sin, and it's interesting. This king of of Ammon or this leader of Ammon I- I- is writing, and he is demanding that Israel give him back the land that he rightfully had. And Jephthah, do you do you know what a mic drop is? A mic drop is when somebody says something that just. It is above the top and, and nobody else has to come back to. They say something and they drop the mic. And so Jephthah, in a sense, is writing a letter to this king of Ammon, this leader of Ammon. And it's like a mic drop. Because he reminds him that hey, it was not us necessarily that took the land from you. In fact, he recalls the story of the wilderness journey, which you don't know, understand the reason why Israel went into slavery is because of their, their sin at one time. They go into these, these oppressors and judges because of their sin. It's a repeated theme all throughout Israel's past. But then uh, uh, God promised Israel and the nation of, 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 of his people, he pr- promised them to have a land one day. And so there they're coming. They're asking permission by these other leaders and nations. Hey, can we pass through your land as sojourners? We're just going to stay a little while. And every time, in fact, they were denied and they come to this one. In verse number 19, it speaks about Sihon, the king of the Amorites. And, and there he refused to, to partner with them. And, and so the Bible says in verse number 21 that God delivered Sihon and his people into the hand of Israel and they won victory. And so Jephthah here is, is, is setting the record straight. You know how gossip and slander is. It's saying things that are not true about somebody and then then elaborate on that and going even further and exaggerating it. And so this man, this leader of Ammon, says, I want our land back. And Jephthah says, God gave us and promised this land and who are you to take God's land from him? How about that? In fact, verse 24, he says, is your God, Kimash, going to give you this to possess? And he says, whomsoever the Lord our God shall drive out from before us, then we will possess it. And it's in this section in verse 27, I like this verse. He said that Jephthah says to this man, I have not sinned against you, but you're the one who's doing the wrong to try to come and do war with us. And he says, check it out now. Verse 27 says, the Lord, the judge. Did you catch that? The Lord, the judge. He says, the Lord, the judge be judged this day between you and us. And my friends, as I am reflecting on these, this section of scripture, I'm reminded that the king refused to hearken to Jephthah's words. And then God, the true God of Israel, not the God of the pagans of his day, Became it, came in and judged these people. There's coming a day, my friends, when we will all stand before our maker. As a Christian, we'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of how we lived our Christian life. But as a non-believer, you will stand before him if you don't believe, and you will stand before him, and he will judge you for your unbelief and your sin. No matter what your past looks like, you can be used by God. You see, faith in God is used by God, but also faith in God makes promises to God. And that's what we're going to look at secondly. In verses 29 through 40 of Judges chapter 11, I want to relay this second thought, this second lesson that we can learn from Jephthah's life of faith. Consider this. Be cautious of the promises you make to God. Be cautious of the promises you make to God. Have you ever been to certain churches where the culture of that church is at every service you come up to the altar and you pray and you make decisions for God? Now today I'm not saying that is right or wrong. I'm not saying to, to make a vow or a commitment to God is, is right or wrong in a sense. I think that we should make commitments to God. But what I am saying is this, is that if we come every week to the altar, if you will, to the front of the building, in front of everybody, and make a decision that, that this moment we leave the four walls of the church building, that we no longer do that commitment, what is the point in making those promises? Today, whenever you make a promise and commitment to God, we have to understand that there's gravity to it, it's, there's sanctity to it, and there's responsibility to it. So let's be cautious of the promises we make. Look, in this scene, it's a transition from a conversation that Jephthah's having through written form, this time going back and forth. If you will just imagine, they're on Twitter or whatever it's called now. I don't even know. They're on, on social media saying words with each other. And then, and then now it's transitioning from no longer words. Now they're about to go to battle. Verse 29 says that God's spirit came upon Jephthah in this moment, reminding us that that even in Jephthah's faults and his failures, his mistakes, and his mishaps, that God can still use those that he desires to use. Praise God. And so in verse 30, the Bible says, Jephthah vows a vow. And we're going to get into this vow later on. But as we read this, we see that Jephthah was serious in his relationship with God. So should we. When we make vows, whether it's a wedding vow or other types of vows, we should make sure that we set the proper parameters and safeguards and guardrails in our life that we can rest assured to keep those vows. A vow is serious before the eyes of God. And the one thing I highly respect of Jephthah is that in the vow that he sets right here, he does keep it later on. And he says that in verse number 31 that that if God God were to deliver the Ammonites into his hands, that he's going to go back home and whatever he sees come to meet him between the doors of his house, he's going to offer as a burnt offering and sacrifice to God. And that being said, we understand in this moment there is gravity. Not gravity of jumping and falling down, but gravity of seriousness that it is serious business to make commitments to God. You know, it's one thing for me to say, hey, I'll meet you at Starbucks at two o'clock on Tuesday. And for me not to show up, I mean, that would be terrible. Or for you not to show up, that would not be good. But I mean, sometimes we forget, right? It happens. If we don't put it in our calendar, it may not happen. But imagine we say, God at this time, I'm going to get up and I'm going to pray. And I'm going to read my Bible. And then I'm going to go and find somebody and tell them about Jesus. And if we don't keep that promise, how much more serious that is before God. But then as we see in verse 32 and verse 33, there's sanctity. In other words, there is a holiness, not just seriousness, but also holiness before, the, before God and making commitments to him. That is when we do make commitments to God. It is, it, is a, it is, yes, it's a serious time, but it's also a holy time where we're saying, God, we want to be more like you. And in this particular case, Jephthah goes and he, he has God's spirit on him. In verse 29, he goes over. In verse 32 and verse 33, they're able to subdue these people. And, and there's a mighty victory in this scene, reminding us that, that when God inspires us and moves us and stirs us to make promises, he makes us more like him and gives us the ability to carry out those promises and also to make us more like his son but then in verses 34 through the end of the chapter we see that there's a time of responsibility if I say that hey I'm going to meet you on Tuesday at 2 o'clock for Starbucks and I don't show up I am sure I might have forgot but I'm revealing a little bit of irresponsibility in my character And when I make a promise to God and I don't live out that promise, I am in a sense saying to God, God, I'm a little irresponsible in my commitments and promises to you. So I urge you, church, be cautious of the promises you make to God. But what we can learn about Jephthah, and I know there's debate about this, and I'll give you the two sides. and I'm going to let you decide which one you think it is. And you can go home and do your homework and figure it out yourself. But it is in this moment When Jephthah comes back to his house and he's expecting, in my mind as I'm reading between the lines here, I can just imagine because of the idea of a burnt offering, he's expecting some kind of animal to walk through the doorway there at his house. But the reality is, is his daughter walks through the doorway. And it's not just his daughter, it's his only child. And in verse 35... He rinses clothes, he tears his clothes in two. This idea of mourning and grief as we see so prevalent through the Old Testament. And he, he begins to say that, that, that your presence has have, have made me very low. And you are, are troubling right, right now because I have opened my mouth to God and made a vow to him. And I cannot go back on my vow to God. And she looks to him and what another woman of faith here. She says, well, Father, if you have made a commitment to God, then so let it be. Because if you don't carry it out, there will be vengeance upon you from the Lord. And she goes on to say that most likely he explained what was going on. And and she said, of this matter, give me two months so I can go and I can go through a period of mourning. And so she went along with some of her companions, and they were gone for two months, and, and there, up in the mountains, they were bewailing her virginity. She was a young woman who never knew a man intimately on the marriage bid, and there she was going through this grief because she was not able to be involved in that relationship, or a future relationship, or have children. And so the Bible says it came to pass that at the end of those two months that, that she returns to her father and, and who, who made this vow to God and he, lift, he, he continued it out and, and, and let it come through to fruition. And it says that she did know no man. And it, then it says that it was a custom according to Israel that the daughters of Israel went yearly to lament the daughter of Jephthah the Gileadite four days in a year. So here's the two theories. Theory number one is... Jephthah offered his daughter as a sacrifice to become a temple servant. And the people who promote that idea is going to go to emphasize the idea where the Bible says that this was his only child, his only daughter. And that she was a virgin and that she never knew a man. All right? Fair enough. But then those, the second idea is that the other persuasion is that it wasn't this idea at all. That he offered her over to be a servant in the temple, which was a customary thing in the Old Testament time period. But it was also this, that he actually laid her on the altar. And sacrificed her. And the people that promote this idea is going to go to the burnt offering verse in verse number 32. And the idea that that he did his vow in verse 39. And then the idea that for for year after year after year. These ladies would come and for four days in a row they would mourn over her loss. And so as you can imagine in scholarship and theology this can be difficult to interpret here. Because you have this idea in the Old Testament, the law says that, hey, there ought to be no human sacrifices. That is where you take a person, a human being, put it on the altar to sacrifice to God. And so there's this debate. Now, you can go figure it out for yourself. I'm a little agnostic when it comes to which one I lean. One day I'm the first one. One day I'm the second one. So today I just don't know. Because I think that you can make your argument and case from either end from these verses. And so the point is simply not to discover which one was it. The point is simply this. Jephthah made a vow and he kept his vow to God. That's the point. Not trying to figure out which one it was. And so there's responsibility, there's sanctity, there's gravity in making promises to God. So be cautious when you make promises to God, because God expects us to live up to those commitments. Faith in God is used by God, yes. Faith in God makes promises to God, yes. But now, finally, I want to draw your attention to chapter 12, verses 1 through 7. Faith in God also suffers for God. Or thirdly, consider this, even when you do the right thing, you may suffer for God. Even when you do the right thing, you may suffer for God. Fun fact, is Jephthah is only mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 by name and then in 1 Samuel chapter 12 by name when Samuel's recalling the events of the past and then right here in chapter 11 in the first part of chapter 12. Not mentioned anywhere else, or at least to my knowledge. I can't find it anywhere else. And it is in this section where, Jephthah is is being used by God, despite his past and his beginnings. God's spirit comes upon him in verse twenty nine of chapter eleven, and they overcome the Ammonites. He's a leader. He's he's victorious. He's the judge of Israel, leading them. And then in chapter twelve, the Ephraimites, another tribe of Israel, come and brings contention and confliction and Israel is at war with each other it's tough in your life right now you might be doing everything right and those that are doing everything wrong have everything going for them I know it's tough In verse 1, 2, and 3, the men of Ephraim, they gather together and they move to go to speak to Jephthah. And they said, hey, Jephthah, um, hey, man, um, you know, when you were fighting the Ammonites, you didn't call upon us to come help you out. So as a result, you know what we're going to do, big boy? We're going to burn your city. We're going to burn your house specifically. That's not a very good gift. That is most likely not a good opening statement. And Jephthah said, listen, guys, when we were in great strife with those, the people of Ammonite, when I did call on you, you did not come and offer aid. Now, now we see there's some contention in the flock of God. And as we see this, we're reminded that contention comes in all sizes, shapes, and colors, and flavors in the people of God. And it can come right here in our congregation too, so we have to be very cautious. And and as Brother Joel was reiterating this morning, in in the Sunday school hour, for those of you that were there, you remember, but but for those of you who were not, that God actually despises, and, and it's something that's considered an abomination when somebody comes into the house of God or the people of God, and they intentionally sow discord to divide the church. God hates that. And today we understand that unity is what God wants in the flock. And that the idea of of unity reminds us that there are particular issues like Jephthah right here with the case of his daughter, that that is not a major issue that we should get up in arms and fight over it with each other. And there's many other issues. But then the idea of, of, you know, well, I want blue carpet or I want red carpet or I want chairs or I want pews or I want a keyboard or I want the grand piano. The idea is is like, come on, these are non-essential matters that shouldn't make us fight over and battle over. We should battle, however, over the deity of Jesus Christ the triunity of God, that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that that Jesus' atonement on the cross is is sufficient to save all those who call upon his name, but only Efficient for those who believe. We should battle over the fact that Jesus is exclusively the only way to heaven. My friends, let's not get into arms and battle each other like these Israelites did in the days of Jephthah. Here, verse four Download the first part of verse 6. They go to war with each other. They do. And there's a major loss. So there's contention. Then, it, then it, what it does is that's the seed that bears fruit to the confliction. And then they literally fight each other. And that's not pleasing to God. God wants his people, Old Testament and New Testament, to dwell together in unity. And it is very pleasant in the eyes of God. But then check it out now. The last part of verse 6. This is what really stood out in my mind. This is the ending of Jephthah's life. And it closes with the fact that 42,000 of his own national blood and family of the Ephraimites died. Then nothing else is said about Jephthah? And in fact, when you begin to study these judges and these governors or these leaders in this time period of the book of Judges, you'll realize that oftentimes it's a period of peace that follows. But not one time that I can see, maybe I missed the word, but I didn't read peace at one time in Judges chapter 11 or in verses 1 through 7 of chapter 12. There's no time of peace here. And Judges rule and reign. It says in verse number 7 that Jephthah judged Israel for six years, not very long at all, six years. And then he died and was buried in Gilead. You know, it is interesting. Jephthah does remind me a lot of another character. You see, Jephthah, he was rejected by his people, remember? Jephthah overcame the Ammonites... Israel's enemy. Jephthah delivered Israel. Jephthah became a leader of Israel. Jephthah had one child. And Jephthah offered a sacrifice to God. Jesus was rejected by his own people, John chapter 1 says. Jesus, when he died on the cross, defeated the enemy, of death, the enemy of death. Jesus delivers his people from sin to all those who believe in his name by faith and trust in the cross's message. And Jesus leads his people to heaven into the great promised land. Jesus was the only begotten son of God, the Father. And Jesus offered his life willingly as a sacrifice to God. So my friends, as we study the faith of Jephthah, I cannot help but be reminded about the greater deliverer named Jesus. Jephthah could deliver his people, the Israelites, from the enemies there, but God, through his son Jesus, is able to deliver us from our past sins, our present sins, and our future sins all through the message of the cross. So I submit to you today that faith in God is used by God, makes promises to God, and at times will suffer For God. And even when you do the right thing, you may suffer. Be cautious of the promises you make. And no matter what your past looks like, you can be used by God. You know, as I was reading some of the different commentaries, I came across this one commentary in manner of conclusion that I think really summarizes Jephthah's story. Because remember, earlier we talked about how Eric Clapton made history. He did. We talk about how Jephthah made history, but he made history for God. Listen to this. It says, Though an illegitimate child, Jephthah rose to be the deliverer of his people from the Ammonites. He illustrates the truth that faith enables a man to rise above his birth and environment and make history for God don't let your past don't let your mistakes don't even let your sin limit you to make history for God what's up guys Brian here again just wanted to say thanks again for tuning in to today's episode you can check out this full message at pastorbrianralf.com or Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts. Keep the Faith is a ministry of Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. If you're free one Sunday or Wednesday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. Until next time, God bless. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. Keep the Faith. And keep the faith. Keep the faith.